Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast. My name is Professor Yvonne Couch, because apparently I'm allowed to use that title now. I'm an Alzheimer's Research UK Fellow and Associate Professor of Neuroimmunology at the University of Oxford, and I'm excited to return to hosting for this mini-series about postdoc life. Over the next three mini-episodes, we'll be discussing the issues with being a perpetual postdoc, things we wish we'd known when we were early career researchers, things we do to cope with the situation, and things we think we need to be talked about more so that change can happen. Now, it should be noted that everyone on the podcast today is a UK researcher. So whilst some of the problems we're discussing are global, some are specific to the research environment in the UK. So today I'm joined by Dr. Kritika Samsi, Senior Research Fellow at King's College London, Dr. Sarah Kate Smith, Research Fellow at Sheffield Hallam, and one of our new regular bloggers at Dementia Researcher, Dr. Kamar Amin Ali at the University of Glasgow. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining. So today's podcast is called 2020 Hindsight, Tips from Perpetual Postdocs. And what we're going to do is share some of our stories and some of the things we wish we'd known earlier in our careers. But let's start with some introductions. Sarah, I know your story is a little bit more unusual than most. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background? Okay, so hi, everyone. Um, My name's Sarah, and um, as Yvonne said, I'm a postdoc at Sheffield Hallam University. I came to academia late, having been a manager at the John Lewis Partnership for many years. Um, I completely changed my career path following many years as uh, volunteering as a Samaritan and was shocked and saddened really to realize how many calls were from older adults and people living with dementia. These people weren't suicidal, but the Samaritans were their lifeline and their contact and uh, they were feeling isolated and just wanted a regular conversation with the outside world. So when my youngest son was six months old, I enrolled with the Open University and uh, did an undergrad in psychology, which I completed part time whilst bringing my children up. Um, I achieved a first class honours and then secured an ESRC funded fellowship. So, sorry, Economic and Social Research Council Fellowship um, to undertake my PhD in the School of Health and Related Research at the University of Sheffield. My PhD focused on people living with dementia and how we may enable people to engage and enjoy digital technology in line with the rest of the population. So since gaining my PhD in 2015, I've held five postdoc positions in four different universities in three different cities in the UK all engaging older adults and people living with dementia and the promotion of digital technology in health and social care contexts. That's me. Excellent, thank you. I love the fact that you found your passion later in life. It's not too rude of me to say later in life, but I think to go back and find like that niche that you love, I think is is wonderful. Uh, Kritika, you are a little bit like Sarah, you have, uh, you work more with the sort of front line with patients with dementia. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how you got to where you are? I think that is probably the only overlap I have with Sarah. Hello, everyone. So my career trajectory has been almost the opposite of Sarah's in that I 
I did my degree in India in psychology. I came to the UK to do a master's in gerontology. And then I started working as a researcher at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neurosciences. And a PhD opportunity presented itself on the job I was working on. I did the PhD part-time and I've literally stumbled into academia. But gerontology, psychology, dementia, they've always been something I've really been enamored by. It's something I really wanted to work in. So in every way, it has all worked out for me. But I've I've just worked in the same field for a number of years. I've worked in King's College for almost all of my career. I did my master's at King's, my PhD at King's, and now I've been working at King's for over 15 years. So like I said, it's almost exactly the opposite of Kate. I've had a number of postdoc projects and a number of postdoc um, yeah, projects and studies, but not different jobs or moved universities. So I've not had the same experience as Sarah in that way, but I am in the same position now as Sarah is. Excellent. And it's useful in terms of perspective to have those two different sides of the, the coin that you worked consistently in one place and that Sarah's have to sh- had to shift around a lot. I think in terms of helping out the, the early career researchers that we're, we're aiming this at, I think to have those two different perspectives is really important. So Kumar, I know that you are much more like what I call a fundamental researcher because I do not like the term basic researcher. Um, And I know you left academia to work in um, research support and then you came back. Can you tell us a little bit about why you made that decision and uh, what your research focuses on now? Yeah, so um, to give you a bit of background, I started um, with my undergrad in psychology at Durham University. Um, and following that, I stayed to do a master's in cognitive neuroscience. I found that what I was really, really interested in was kind of the neuroscience side of psychology. Um, but my, I never planned to do a PhD. I never planned to work in academia. Uh, what I really, really wanted to do was um, be a clinical psychologist in the NHS. Um, but then the chance of doing a PhD at Durham was offered to me. Um, It was work that naturally followed on from the project that I'd done during my master's degree. And so I took that opportunity. So my PhD involved um, basically trying to understand the mechanisms of of understanding memory and how how we process memory um, using a lot of um, animal models, but also doing some human experiments as well. Um, from that, I then moved to Sheffield University for my first postdoc, where it was almost like a natural progression. So I did more um, work with an Alzheimer's mouse model. So it involved, again, doing those kind of cognitive behavioral um, studies with the rodents. But um, I also started doing more neuropathology as well, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, When I came to the end of that contract, um, I was applying for other postdoc positions, but the opportunity to um, work as a program manager for the NC3Rs, which are um, a research funder in the UK, came up and I wasn't, I didn't make a conscious decision to leave academia because I wasn't enjoying it or I was having a bad experience, but I was, I tried to be open-minded and I was applying for postdoc positions as well, but that opportunity came and I applied for that and I got it. So I worked for them for two years and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, the reason why I went back to academia after working with the NC three hours for two years was even though I enjoyed and loved everything that I was doing with them, 
I was doing a lot of traveling. So that to me wasn't sustainable long-term. So I decided to go back to research um, with a postdoc position at Newcastle University. That was a very short uh, contract. But then I moved to Glasgow University, which is where I am now, working as a research associate. Um, And the project that I'm on now is really, really interesting. So I'm studying uh, traumatic brain injury and how that is a risk factor for neurodegenerative diseases that lead to dementia. So broadly in my research career, it has involved understanding memory, it's involved neuropathology, but it's all under that umbrella term of of dementia and trying to understand what happens in the brain of people that have dementia. Excellent. Thanks, Cam. And I think you've brought up a lot of really interesting points in terms of having to move around a lot, having to commute a lot and making your life decisions based on that. And I think that's definitely going to come up in the discussion that we're going to have shortly. So let's kick off today's discussion with a pretty specific question. What would we have wanted to know about academic life when we were approaching the end of our PhDs or even before we were considering starting a PhD? Who wants to kick it off? I don't mind going first. Um, So I think um, even though my PhD was such a good experience, like I think there's nothing about it I would have changed. The environment, the project, or my supervisor, they were all great. Um, but one thing that I kind of advise my students now is if they're thinking about applying for PhDs is to really consider that I think a lot of them think about the project being the most important thing and really finding the perfect project for them. But I think that there's more value on having a good supervisor and being in the right environment. And I, I would place more value on those things than the, the actual project. So even though I didn't need that advice, I kind of fell into a good environment and a good project and a good supervisor. It's the advice that I would give my students now. And the reason why that is, is because post PhD, you might move out of academia or you might move into an adjacent research area like I have if you go on to a postdoc position. Um, so I think it's really, really important to do a PhD in a supportive environment, even if the project isn't necessarily the perfect project, it, that it's not, I don't know, the technique that you wanna use, the methods that you wanna use, but ideally you could have both, but it's unrealistic. Um, but I think definitely it's preferable to be um, in a better environment with a great supervisor than on a perfect, Project. Uh, I completely agree. I'm taking it the next step and think that's even important at the postdoc level. I feel like I've got to where I have, and the reason I stayed at uh, my university for so long has been principally because I felt I've been lucky. I feel like I've got a really supportive uh, manager as well as a team, as well as uh, the junior researchers coming through are also amazing and really supportive. And it's been a really lovely, flourishing environment. But I feel like the systems in place, we shouldn't be depending on luck. I feel the systems in place are not enabling where the, the luck shouldn't be the only factor. I feel like the current systems are depending on luck taking early career researchers and postdocs through to these positions. And then if you don't have a good supervisor or you don't have a good research team or a good environment, the system really fails you. And I think that's why I'm keen to do, I was keen to do this podcast because I feel like I've been lucky. I'm not here to complain about how hard it's been. I'm more kind of aware that it's not like that for everyone and something needs to change because 
it, everyone's luck is going to run out at some point, including mine, but also it shouldn't be luck that kind of brings us to this point. So I definitely think the environment you're with and the manager and the research team you're working with plays a really crucial role in, I'm sure, PhD level, but also at postdoc level and beyond. Yeah, I completely agree. And one of the things I think it's important to maybe stress to early career people is that you maybe do have to be a little proactive. You do have to, like with my very junior, if I have people coming into the lab, like undergrads and things, if I have them coming in saying they want to do a PhD, I say one of the things you need to go is you need to go and visit the lab. You need to talk to the people in the lab, ask them really honest questions. Like, do you enjoy working here? Is your boss nice? I have in previous labs specifically said to you know new members who want to join the lab i say if you want to join this lab you need to be aware that you will never see your boss he is extremely busy i said if you want to be supervised by him he's going to be very unlikely you're more likely to be supervised by me so that means you have to get on with me rather than him if you're here for him then you're not going to see him he's got a million different projects he's only here for 20 minutes a week um, so I think that kind of degree of honesty from the people within the lab, but also that kind of degree of motivation from from other people, I think, is really important. Sarah, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I think um, I think I agree with what everyone is saying here. Um, I was really quite naive um, when I joined academia and wrongly assumed that so there was a surefire path after doing a PhD to <laughs> a permanent position. I didn't realise actually what was happening. Um, although I've been fortunate to align my postdoc, so I have never been out of work, um, that it does, you know, come with periods of stress and anxiety when you're looking for something, you give yourself three months uh, to, to line the next job up or, or what have you. Um, but it's definitely a career path for the, the not a career path for those that require stability. I think that would be a huge issue. Um, I agree with everyone when they're talking about um, the supervisor. And uh, my PhD was already funded when I applied for it. So it was my supervisor's idea. Um, and um, she chose the candidate that she wanted to who she thought would be suitable. And, you know, she was what built my career that that woman and I'm not saying it was the easiest relationship but we're colleagues now and we'll be friends forever um, because it was a really really positive relationship you know and she was um, we weren't in competition she wanted to develop me um, uh, and and pass on everything that she had learned so and it was where it was as well you know it was such the, such good grounding for my training definitely. Yeah, and I think that definitely helps. And I think I I did kind of similar things. I, I, I almost blundered into academia very naively. And, and like you say, I, I sort of assumed that, you know, you, you've got all these qualifications, you have to get a job at the end, right? And because you're sort of surrounded by academics, you just kind of assume that that is what your job is going to be. But Cam, I know you you moved out because you you said you wanted to have more of an open mind about sort of other opportunities that are available. Do we think that part of the problem here is that there aren't really other opportunities outside? Do we think that basically if you don't stay in academia, you're 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 almost considered a failure? And how do we highlight that there are other things that you can do after you finish a PhD? Yeah, I do feel like there is 
a, na- a narrative around those who choose to leave academia because it's not always acknowledged that some people might choose because they discover what they really, really want to do. The great thing about doing a PhD is that you, um, and actually do, doing research in general, is you, you do do lots of different activities. Um, so day to day, I can be doing lab work, data analysis, writing. These all require very, very specific skills. And the good thing about doing a PhD is it gives somebody the opportunity to develop these skills and decide whether they really, really enjoy or are really talented at doing one of those things. So for example, if they're really, really talented at writing, they might choose to leave academia after their PhD because they've discovered what they really, really enjoy doing. And that should be celebrated. It shouldn't be seen as, oh, another person is leaving. That's a failure. Um, I feel like as well, we need to support more people um, at the PhD level in terms of letting them know the different career options that are available after a PhD because I feel like a lot of the time is just this perception of a linear progression following the PhD and you're kind of left to find out about these other career options um, yourself and I feel like universities are getting better at promoting them and you know having events and workshops and things like that but it's certainly not perceived as a positive if you leave academia I feel like that's the narrative at the moment yeah definitely Uh, and I think there's still some definitely within universities I feel like the the careers advice teams are often still a little bit sort of set in their ways I know that as I, admittedly, I was an undergrad a really long time ago, but when I was an undergrad, it was almost like, well, you're doing a science degree, you're going to have a job in science. That's that's the way it works. And I just feel like that's not the case. And there are so many other things. <clears throat> Whilst you do gain a lot of really specific skills during a PhD, like, you know, I know exactly how to get to really tiny blood vessels in a mouse neck. Um, and that's not necessarily a transferable skill, but I do then technically have very, you know, great manual dexterity. I have writing skills. I have, you know, that kind of transferable skill that you can use in other career paths. And I feel like there is this, because you're surrounded by academics, it it feels like that is the only option. And universities, I don't think are, like you say, celebrating enough that actually you've got this skill, maybe you'd like to be elsewhere. Go ahead. Yeah, I feel as well. Um, sometimes it's the terminology that's used. So they're when they are discussed, they're talked about as alternative careers, but that suggests that having that career in academia after your PhD is the norm. As soon as you use the word alternative, it suggests that that is the norm. And I feel like if we just change the narrative around it to these are all legitimate careers that you can have after your PhD, none of them are should be considered the norm and none should be considered alternative? I think, um, it, it, to be honest, actually, it never occurred to me to leave academia. And I don't know if it was because it wasn't a choice. I didn't realise there was a choice. I thought that, um, rightly or wrongly, that I did my training here and then, then I carried on. And that, that is, again, it's a naive way, but I think it was the ethos of the institution I was in. And they were training their training for their postdocs, they were trained, you know, and you weren't expected to leave really. Um, I think some of my peers did go into industry roles, um, but I was always very sure that I wanted to apply what I'd learned in my PhD. 
um, in a in a job, you know, in a in a full time job, um, and it was always about people living with dementia, and the, I felt the best way I could impact positively on their lives was to continue in academia, and uh, that was how I was going to build the evidence and make a difference. It's just yeah. a different perspective, isn't it? It is. It's completely a different perspective, and I think, like you say, if you're sort of within that environment, it's it's almost where you get stuck but there's also this like cam says there's this narrative around leaving um i know that i had a student who wanted to go into she wanted to go into science communication and she's really enthusiastic and she's really outgoing and her as a psychoms person she'd be really good and i even remember like even with my attitude towards this i remember having a conversation saying she's leaving science it's a shame and I just felt that that's not the right thing to say. It's it's not a shame. It's not a shame for her, especially not if it's what she's passionate about and it's what she's good at. I don't think it should be, you know, considered a shame that she's changing her career path because she wants to do something she enjoys. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. So I'm hoping that as all of the old white guys sort of start to retire, that maybe we can maybe change the culture and change the ideas. But also, we just need to know, I think, more about these alternative careers. Not alternative. I've just said it. I've made the mistake. I've already done it. I am the perpetrator of all of this. Cam, you went to the NC3Rs. Like, how did you find out about the job? Did you just did you go job hunting, or did it just come up, or how did it how did it happen? Well, so the NC3Rs actually funded my PhD, so I actually knew. Um, about them as a research funder in the UK and uh, the great thing about the AMC Thras is they're very personable so they organize a lot of events so those that they fund you know you you get to interact with the staff there and and so round about when I was coming to the end of my first postdoc um, these new regional program manager roles were being created and I just thought I would take the opportunity to apply. And I think that I was quite early in my, in my career to be applying for a job like that. But because of my experience uh, working around the three R's and applying the three R's, I mean, for those who don't know, the three R's are uh, the refinement, replacement and reduction of animals in research. So the, the whole point of the NC three R's is they fund um, research with the aim of um, you know, funding ethical use of animals and reducing the number of animals um, in biomedical research. So I, I kind of knew what they were about and I had that knowledge of, of kind of things that they were doing, activities they were involved in, which played to my advantage. So I was, a lot of luck was involved in me getting that job, but I was so excited to be to be working for them. That's why it was an opportunity that I really felt I should take. Um, but at the time because I was also applying for other postdoc jobs, similar to what Sarah was talking about, if it wasn't because I already knew about them, I wasn't exploring other options. My other options would have been to stay in the research area that I was working in and to progress that way. It was just because that seemed like an opportunity that I was had some familiarity with already. This is not in direct relation to Cam's point, but I know we're talking about what we would say to an early career researcher, but I feel like a lot of us might be, you know, a few studies in and we've done postdocs for a while. And I feel like I'm now at a point where I'm not considering leaving academia for good or bad reasons. I'm very happy here. It's not a problem. But 
even if I was, because I've done a good few postdoc studies and I'm struggling to make the leap into, you know, more of the senior roles, I feel like leaving academia would take me back to being a starter in a new career. So just out of a PhD, having those options is almost easier than the point I am at now, which is a more senior academic. And then going into science communications or a policymaker at a charity would take me back to being a new learner. And that is something I may not be willing to take on. So I feel like at this stage of my life, I have even less options. Yeah, I think one of the things that came up when we had a bit of a pre-chat before this before this episode was that we should, or people should maybe consider that a PhD is just training. It's just a degree. It doesn't necessarily instantly mean you have to do something related to it afterwards. You can do a PhD in something and then move fields. You can do a PhD in something and then move into something that is non-science related. A lot of people go into consultancy and things like that. And there's even scope potentially to do well, what I found a lot of people who now don't work in academia have done is they did a PhD and then they did one postdoc because I find that the experience of a PhD where you're almost depending on your supervisor, you're almost very cosseted, you're, you're sort of looked after for the entire time. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you make mistakes Whereas a postdoc, you're sort of almost considered, right, these experiments are your, very much your responsibility. And, you know, these are the outcomes that we definitely need. And a lot of people don't necessarily enjoy that experience. And so we'll choose to leave after one postdoc. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Krista. I, I, am, I go on and off the fence about academia, especially recently, especially with the, the pandemic and funding being so difficult. I sort of jump on and off. But the idea of, like you say, going into something completely new and yet almost being a, like a fresh recruit, despite the fact that I now have sort of, you know, 10 years of science experience, what, what on earth would I do? I think I'd be terrified. Sarah, jump in. Oh, hi, I'm sorry. I just wanted to make a point that um, uh, this isn't going to be everyone's experience, but I wonder how much it's got to do with age or generations or, you know, when you're starting a PhD. I do feel that my experience has been different because I was a mature student. Um, me and my PhD supervisor um, agreed at, right at the beginning that it was a job and we worked together in the office nine to five, Monday to Friday. So uh, there was other PhD students who chose to work um, 12 noon till 10 p.m. at night or whatever. I couldn't do that because I had a young family and uh, responsibilities at home. So it worked very well for me in that sense. But I was also told that, um, or it was alluded to that I had to maximize my chances of career progression. I had to be flexible and go where the opportunities were. Once the PhD was over, that was always, uh, always drummed into me, which was uh, a real challenge because my husband uh, earned much more than me and had a, a permanent job. So he wasn't going to move. We weren't going to move because of my job and um, because my his job trumped mine every time. Um, and my kids were at school in, in locally and, you know, I, I wasn't going to move. So every time contracts came up, my options were always limited to what was commutable. OK, so if we assume we've got an early career researcher listening who does want to stay in academia, Sarah, do you think your tip for them would be to always have a plan B? 
I think always have a plan B and C and D. I think I put all my eggs into one basket, which was fine. Again, it was naivety, but it has it, it does come with a few stressful moments when, um, you know, when the contracts are coming to an end. But I do believe that if you have the freedom and, um, and the possibilities of relocating and traveling and internationally, you know, doing something abroad, I would have. I would have loved to have done that. So I think the opportunities, if you're not um, tied to a city, then the opportunities uh, are amazing. So, but I think, yes, definitely a plan B would be a good idea. Well, Kritika, you jumped countries. Um, what made you come to the UK and would you ever consider going back? Well, I moved to the UK to do my master. So this is almost 20 years ago now. Yeah, 20 years ago now. And I came here to do my master's. And I generally just, I'm trying to think of the reason. I, I don't think there was ever a plan to go back. And now I'm married, have family here. So I don't think I would move back to India necessarily. But I've not had the position of Sarah, which is move around the country, because obviously I've been at the same institute. And I suppose even if I did need to look around, London has a lot more opportunities maybe. So in lots of ways, I've been spoiled with being where I have been. So I've not had the same thing. I think my big advice would be, again, this has worked for me and I realize it's not for everyone, is I've had to be flexible with the projects I've taken on. So I think it seems like I'm, I've not worked in dementia all of the past 20 years, even if I would have liked to. I've tried to find the dementia angle. I do a lot of social care research and I've made my piece when it's not been a dementia angle, knowing that the next study could be. So I think my thing would be the flexibility with not moving, but the flexibility with sort of making your piece if you feel like you like the environment, you like where you're working and you see there's an end in sight to what your priority, of what you're giving up as it were. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think... I've had the opportunity of a, a, a bunch of different projects recently, and some of them are really exciting and some of them much less so. And I think if I want to stick around here um, with, you know, life generally being as competitive as it is, I've got to almost give up the idea that I have to be doing just this tiny one project because chances of getting that funded and chances of that sort of persisting are, are lower. So I've got to, not spread myself too thin, but, you know, find other people to work with and be flexible about, about how I work. Cam, you've moved around a lot within the UK. Did you, did you plan on doing that? Do you think that's something you would advise early career people to do? Or, or in hindsight, would you have preferred to do something more like what Critic has done and sort of stay within an institution? I think coming out of my PhD, I wanted to stay where I was. Um, but that wasn't an option. I didn't have any funding to stay where I was. And actually I applied for a fellowship coming out of my PhD to stay where I, where I was, but the feedback was that at the time, and I think there are still a lot of senior academics that give this advice that to do a fellowship, you have to move to another lab from where you've done your PhD. And that was actually the feedback that I got on my fellowship application. And that obviously wasn't successful. So I went and did a postdoc in Sheffield. Um, and at the time I was just taking what was available to me, what I was successful in getting. Um, it actually was a really, really good move for me because if I hadn't moved to Sheffield, then I wouldn't have got the job 
um, with the NC3Rs because that was based at, um, in Sheffield and in Manchester and Liverpool supporting those universities. So everything kind of led on from each move that I had. And I think looking back, I've enjoyed living everywhere that I have lived and I've enjoyed working on all the projects that I have. My advice would be just to be open-minded and follow what you're interested in um, because that's what I did when I moved to Sheffield. I was excited to be working and doing a lot of those cognitive behavioral tests that I'd spent my PhD developing, but it gave me the opportunity to work with an Alzheimer's mouse model and it gave me an opportunity to learn a new skill in neuropathology, which is now all that I do working on human tissue um, in doing neuropathology. So I was quite nervous about learning that new skill, but now it's all that I do. Like that's, I followed what I was interested in and that's now everything um, in my research. So my advice would be to follow what you're interested in. And if you have got the flexibility to move like I did, then it is a great opportunity. It can be quite scary, but it, it can also be an excellent opportunity. I feel like as well, we need to, and I think it is something that is predominantly with senior um, academics, but we need to change this narrative that it is necessary. Um, if for whatever reason, um, somebody wants to stay where they are, if it's because of family reasons or because actually that is just the best environment for them to do that project, then we shouldn't be telling people that they should move for the sake of it. Like that to me is just ridiculous. Absolutely. And I think, like you say, this is a narrative that has persisted, but there are so many opportunities now to have fellowships where you put in a bit of time in another lab, you go away. The idea is you go away for three months or two months or six months, you learn a new skill and you bring that skill back to the lab that you're in. And I think those opportunities for growth are really important. I've done, I did my first postdoc in uh, Denmark and I was only there for a year, but it gave me a different perspective on how research is done in different places but it also allowed me to see that actually I was really enjoying being in Oxford. And actually that was a research environment that I particularly enjoyed and I knew, and I think it could possibly be a bit of status quo bias. I like it here and I know how to find things and how to find people who know things. So I didn't necessarily jump around as much as I could have done. But I do think that there is a lot of, of change happening in terms of that need to move. Um, so my advice would be sort of an amalgamation of all of your advice. And that would be that you need to do what makes you happy. And if what makes you happy is, is jumping countries and experiencing something completely different, then, then you do that. If what makes you happy is uh, going into a career in writing, then, then do that. And, and you shouldn't let the, the status quo or the inherent bias of senior academics, you know, let you in any way move away from what, what makes you happy and what makes you enjoy life. It's time to wrap up today's podcast, which I hope you found useful if you're starting out on a career in research. Uh, tune in for the next one where we'll discuss what to do if you're already at the stage where you're trying to establish yourself, which is what a lot of the researchers on this podcast are. Remember, if you're an early career researcher and you're looking for resources on CVs, cover letters, cold emailing, etc., check out the Deventure Researcher website. 
I'd just like to thank our panelists, Dr. Kam Amin Ali, Dr. Sarah Kate Smith, and Dr. Kritika Samsi. We have profiles on all of today's panelists on the website, including details of their Twitter accounts. So feel free to jump on and follow their research. Thank you all for listening. And remember to like and subscribe to the Dementia Researcher at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay safe and keep researching. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society. Supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.